Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be preaching to you this morning. Merry Christmas. About a week away. It's crazy how fast it's flown by, it feels like. Uh, December is usually my second favorite month of the year. March probably has the edge or used to have the edge because that's my birthday. That's when March Madness takes place. That's when spring springs up, right? The weather just gets a whole lot better. And I may be a little biased, but that's changed over the last couple of weeks. Uh, December has officially become uh, my favorite month of the year. Uh, I love December anyways because I love the Christmas season with the lights and the trees and the, the Christmas song by Nat King Cole and being able to listen to that every single day without being judged and ultimately celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And while the Christmas season makes December amazing, I have to say that December 2nd, 2023, has given the edge to December for me being my favorite month of the year because that was the day that I got to marry the most amazing woman I have ever met in Rose Marie Lamb, who is now Rose Marie Hughes. Thank you. Yeah. It was an incredible day, and it was really an encouragement to see a lot of you with us that day to celebrate with us. Uh, we were so grateful to have everyone there on such an incredible day, and that is a day that Rose and I truly will never forget because of how amazing it was. And I mean that when I say that. It's a day that we will truly never forget. And there's nothing to ever ruin how beautiful and encouraging and an amazing day that really was. And while that is the case, uh, it was easy for me to think of certain people who were not able to make it, who weren't there. And no, I'm not talking about any of those of you who we did invite. You guys weren't able to make it for a few reasons, okay? We're not taking it personally or anything like that. But when I say that, I think of certain family members who weren't there, certain family members who have passed away before our wedding took place. I certainly thought of my mother. My mother was certainly one of those who came to my mind as we were able to honor her during our ceremony. But another person who comes to mind who I don't talk about much is my dad my biological dad. My dad passed away about 12 years ago on December 1st, and it was honestly a really weird experience when he did pass. Because if I were to be honest, I didn't really know him that well. My parents divorced when I was around three or four, and the last time I saw him, I was around 13 years old. And so when my mother sat me down when I was 16 and told me that my father had passed, it was a weird feeling because it, it wasn't like I was losing someone who I was super tight with. And that while I, I didn't grieve because I lost someone who I had a deep connection with, I grieved exactly because I didn't have that. I knew things about my dad, and I have memories of my dad throwing the football with him, going to baseball games with him, but I didn't have a close relationship with him, a, a close relationship that a son should have with his father. And so that was the pain that took place on December 1st, 2011. I didn't really know my dad, and I wasn't really close with him. But here was the beautiful, valuable lesson that I learned in that season of my life. I was a Christian for about a month and a half when my dad died. And in that season, it was constantly brought to my heart that while my earthly father had passed away, I certainly wasn't fatherless. 
that I was not alone, that through the comfort of God's spirit and the comfort of people here at West Park, my dad's passing actually pointed me to the fatherly care of God and his love for me as one of his own children. And so while the thought of my dad's passing came throughout the season of preparing for our wedding, what overflowed even more was how God has been and is such a good father to me and to us. That while my earthly father wasn't perfect at all, just like any of us, I was pointed to God being such a perfect father to me. From wherever we come from, when we hear the words father or when we hear the words dad, that can either bring a lot of joy and fond memories for a lot of us, or it can bring a lot of baggage and a lot of pain. And perhaps those emotions become even more prominent over the Christmas season. But my prayer and my hope this morning is that as we are reminded of God's love for us as our Father, that we might let the thought of our everlasting Father overcome and perhaps redeem how we hear the words Father or Dad. And it's not that we completely forget or brush off our experiences when we hear the words Father or Dad. It's not that we completely forget our experiences, but it's that when we think of God as our Father, we may be overwhelmed and warmed by his love and his care for us way more than frozen by any negative experiences that we've had with our earthly fathers. That is my prayer this morning, that you may be reminded that if you are a follower of Jesus, God is your father, and that he is a good father. And we see God's fatherly love and care on full display through the coming of his son, Jesus Christ, and through the life of his son, Jesus Christ. We are in our Advent series titled The Promise One, and as we are going through the different titles of the coming Messiah in Isaiah 9-6, we will be talking this morning about the third title of this king, Everlasting Father. And so we're going to talk about this title for a little bit, but then I would love for us to plan ourselves in John 14 this morning to see how Jesus lives out this title to his followers and to his people. And so let's begin with the primary word and the primary noun of this title, and that is Father. Father, this coming Messiah, this, this coming King, he will rule over his people, and it says that he will rule over his people as if they are his children and he is their father. The Father's role in ancient times and in today is to protect and to provide for his family to keep his family safe from danger, to meet the needs of those who are in his household. And the father's role is also to love and to care for his family, to know his family intimately and personally, to be a source of love and of joy and of belonging to their children, to be a place of comfort and of warmth, and to be an example of loving instruction and discipline. And Isaiah is saying here, this is what the coming king will be for his people. He will not rule with a cold heart toward his people. He will not discipline them as a hateful tyrant. 
He will not simply know of his people, but he will personally know and love them. And he will not simply love them as a distant relative or that second cousin or that uncle that you know or as a friend. It says that he will love his people with a fatherly love and care for his people. This is what this king will be. He will love and care for them in a divine and fatherly way as their everlasting father. And we'll talk about the other word everlasting here in a moment, but I want us to talk about really how Jesus fulfills this. And that while Isaiah tells of this everlasting father to come, 700 years later, we see that this fatherly king is none other than Jesus Christ. And it's important to clarify before we go into John 14. Isaiah here is not confusing Jesus with God the Father when it comes to the Trinity. Many scholars conclude that Isaiah has nothing in mind about the doctrine of the Trinity at all when he is writing this. So Isaiah isn't talking about King Jesus and and just describing him as everlasting Father and how Jesus relates to the rest of the triune Godhead what he is talking about is how this King Jesus relates to his people. King Jesus, the King of Kings, loves and leads his people with a divine fatherly care. So let's turn our attention now to John 14 and how we see Jesus' fatherly care for his people. In this passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples And he's telling them soon that he is going to leave them to eventually go to the cross. And he assures them in different ways. And as you see how he assures them in different ways, he assures them as a father would comfort his children and meet his children where they are. So I think the first observation that we see is he comforts the troubled. He comforts the troubled. As Jesus is saying that he is going to a place where the disciples can't, He understands that probably causes some stress for his disciples. And it makes a lot of sense. These disciples, they have left everything. They've left their profession. They've left their entire lives to go and follow Jesus and to live for him. And over the course of that time, they have developed a really close relationship with Jesus. So it's it's not that they've left everything behind. It's that they love Jesus dearly. And now they're hearing that he's going to a place where all of a sudden they can't go. And what does Jesus do? We see in this passage, Jesus doesn't tell them to stop their crying. He doesn't tell them to put their big boy pants on and deal with it as if it's just a scrape on the knee. This is a big deal. Jesus knows that it's a big deal. And so instead of being cold or insensitive towards his disciples, like a compassionate father, he comforts them. He knows where they are, and he meets them where they are. Verse 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This can also be read. You believe in God, therefore also believe in me. That if you trust God, you can trust me. Jesus is comforting them and saying, you can trust me just like you trust God. Now that's a heavy thing to say. And not any, no person on this earth has ever been able to say that and meet them up to that standard. No matter how trustworthy, no matter how credible someone is, they can never be trusted like God can be trusted. 
But Jesus brings himself up to that standard. And he's proven to be the Son of God and that he is, a power, he is powerful, but he is also trustworthy. We see here in a passage like this, just in verse 1, we can trust Jesus when we're troubled. We can trust Jesus not when we're not troubled. We can trust him when we're going through really, really difficult times. When we're in times of distress, when we are in times of trouble, we can trust Jesus. And we can rest in him as a child can rest in their father's arms. The second observation that we see is in verse 2, and that is he brings you home as a child. Verse 2, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So what we see here is the comfort that Jesus provides in the disciples' troubles is not only that his words and his character can be trusted like God can be trusted, but it is also that while Jesus is leaving for a certain period of time, he plans to eventually take them with him, where he will ultimately be and where we will eventually be, and that is the kingdom of God. And it's not like a bouncer getting into a club where he's saying, let me see if I can get you on the list and maybe make an exception for you. Jesus is saying, I am going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house so that I can bring you home to your home where you truly belong. Jesus is saying that to his disciples, and that's the same truth for us as followers of Jesus today, that he will bring us home as one of his children. So on our honeymoon, Rose and I went to Asheville, North Carolina, and visited the Biltmore Estate. And for those who don't know about the Biltmore House, it's the largest house in the country at about 175,000 square feet, okay? It also has multiple gardens on the property that takes up an extra 75 acres. So there's plenty to explore. And when you step into this massive house, it is honestly incredibly overwhelming. This house is huge, if you couldn't tell. This house is massive. It's four stories. It has 250 total rooms in it. It's got 35 bedrooms, and it's got 65 fireplaces. This is insane. It's got a massive dining room. It's got a two-level library. The game room is huge. It has an indoor swimming pool. It's got a bowling alley. Like, who has bowling alleys in their house? And it's got a personal gym. So, like, if there was any kind of room that you could have or that you could want, the Biltmore probably has it, okay? It's crazy. And Rose and I were there last week to tour the house at night during one of the evening tours with the Christmas lights on and the trees up, and it was a beautiful house, and it was a great time. It was a great experience. But while the tour was amazing, and while it was an incredible experience, our access into the house on this tour was still very much limited. There were certain rooms that we couldn't go into, and even with the rooms that we were allowed to go into, we couldn't really touch anything, and we couldn't really sit anywhere because of how old the furniture was and because they wanted to preserve the look of the house. So what they do is they put these red velvet ropes around the house to not only direct the path of the tour, but it's also to block us from touching anything or sitting on anything that we shouldn't. And so while it was awesome to be a guest, while it was a great tour, Part of me was like, man, I just love 
to just sit down on the couch by the fireplace in the library, just take one of these books off the shelf and just read. I mean, I would just love to play a game of pool in the game room. Or I would just love to just sit down on this dining room table and like, can I just get a bowl of salad? Like, give me a Caesar salad. Give me five minutes. Just let me embrace that experience for a second, right? But our access and our time at this house was limited. And the reason why is because we're guests at this house. We don't have the privilege of being a resident at this house. We're just guests. We're just visiting. What I love about this verse here is that Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare rooms for you in my Father's house, not as guests with limited access and velvet ropes everywhere, or as tenants where you're renting and you have to earn your way to live here. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare for rooms for you in my Father's house so that you can stay as children for all of eternity. It's not like in this life where you start off living with your parents and they hope that one day you eventually move out. Jesus is preparing rooms for you and I in the kingdom of God so that we may live as God's children forever in his kingdom and in his house. Do you see the fatherly care and love of King Jesus here to his people? He doesn't just desire for us to be saved. He desires for us to be adopted. He doesn't just desire for us to be his followers. He desires for us to be children of God. And he began this adoption process as God's children by taking our sins as if they were his own on the cross. And he took the condemnation and the judgment that we deserved and he took it and brought it on himself. And I want us to think about this, that before Christ, if we were in God's courtroom, our verdict would be guilty and our sentence would be eternal death and hellfire. But because of Christ, now because of Christ, as he represents us in the courtroom, we are now declared righteous and our sinful record has been removed from us. And as we are declared righteous because of Jesus, we are also then declared children of God because of Jesus. I love how Michael Horton says it, that in Christ, we have moved from the courtroom of God to the family room of God. In Jesus, we are not merely guests in God's kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And as beautiful as the Biltmore estate is, it will look like a cardboard box compared to the Father's house and the rooms that Jesus is preparing for us. And as Jesus shows his fatherly love, as he goes to prepare rooms for us in his Father's house, he also shows it and that he will never leave you. He will never leave you. Verses 3 and 4. He says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. Jesus says that he's going somewhere for a time where his disciples can't but he assures them that he isn't leaving them for good. He even goes on to say in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. As Jesus can be trusted like God can be trusted, 
we can rest assured that Jesus means what he says when he says that he will not leave us behind. He will never leave us and that he promises that he will come again and he shows and promises that he will never leave us and he shows it by giving us the Holy Spirit of God to be with us forever. As Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God as we speak, think about this. His very presence is dwelling inside of us because of the Holy Spirit. That not only has Jesus not left us, the reality is we're closer with him now than when he was on this earth. Because at this point, he's not just right next to us, he's inside of us. Because of Jesus, we are not abandoned orphans, but we are loved children of God who are close with their God and who are close with their King. And when he comes back, we will get to be with him for all of eternity. This is the fatherly care of Jesus. And I'm sure that some in here have dealt with incredible heartbreak from their earthly father. Whether it be of how they treated you in your childhood or because of them possibly leaving or abandoning you when you were younger. And I can't say enough how sorry I am for that. That can be a deep scar, and that can take a lot of time and a lot of, a lot of time and a lot of prayer to heal from something like that. But can I just remind you this morning that if you are a Christian, in God, you have a perfect Father who loves you. And in Jesus, you have a king who loves you like one of his own children. Can I encourage you and remind you today that you can trust in Jesus and know that he will never, ever leave you or abandon you. Psalm 27.10 is a verse that has helped me heal tremendously from my own hurt. And it says, For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. I love it how the Christian standard says that though my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. It's not just that he takes you in. He loves you and he cares for you. And how can you trust that God has taken you in as one of his own children? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. How can you trust that God loves you and will never leave you or kick you out? Look at Jesus. And look at how he loves you like an everlasting father loves you. We also see in this passage that Jesus is the everlasting father. He guides you in truth and life. He guides you in truth and life. As Jesus says what he just says, Thomas says, Lord, how can we know the way you are going? And Jesus responds to him in verses five through seven. He says, how can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth in the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. We see, first of all, Jesus is teaching that he, he teaches and shows the ways to God. And we've been reading more about that in the Sermon on the Mount, haven't we? Just different ways of how we can live and the ways to God and to his kingdom. And what we see here, and as we see on the Sermon on the Mount, is a good father teaches you not just where to go, 
but he teaches you where not to go. He says to his children, either this is the good and wise path for you to go down, or he says, don't go down this road because this road is dark and this road leads to destruction. Jesus is also teaching that he guides people in the truth. A good father speaks and teaches truth to their children. They don't lie to their children or deceive them into known falsehood. And Jesus teaches the truth and that in his teachings, he reveals the one true God and who he is. That's what main, primary, foundational truth is. It's not just a set of facts. It's not just a gathering of information. Real truth is pointing to who God truly is. And that's what Jesus does in his teaching. And then Jesus teaches that he guides people in the ways of life, specifically eternal life. And how is Jesus able to guide us like this as our everlasting father? He says, because he is all of these things himself. Jesus is the way to God. He says in John 10 that he doesn't just open the door for the sheep. He is the door for the sheep. He isn't just someone who teaches truth. He is the truth. He doesn't just teach the written word of God. He is the living word of God. He's not just someone who leads people to eternal life. He is the very source of eternal life. He is the one who was born to give second birth and to give eternal life to all who place their faith in him. All of this is Jesus. Jesus guides us in truth, guides us in eternal life because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And as you read Isaiah 9, 6, and as you just flip a little bit over to Hebrews 12, 2, we see Jesus is described as the everlasting father founder and author of our faith and father of our eternity. And as the everlasting father, he leads us where we ought to go because he is the way and he is the one whom we need to pursue. Final thing we see in this text is as an everlasting father, Jesus shows us God the father. He shows us God the father. In verse 8, Philip, like basically the other disciples, they got no idea what Jesus is saying right now. They're clueless. So he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And I can just imagine at this point, Jesus is probably throwing up his arms, just like, have I been with you for so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does this, these works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. One of the names that the Messiah is given in Isaiah 9-6 is Mighty God. And as Jesus teaches here, when you see Jesus, you see Mighty God. You see God in his full divinity, in his full power, in his full authority. And as you see here, 
it's not just that when you see Jesus, you see the deity of God. But when you see Jesus, you also see the fatherly care of God. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so how does Jesus reveal to us God the Father? We read in the Gospels many different ways. But one of the biggest ways in what we see in this passage is that he shows us the Father by being the everlasting Father to his people and to his people who trust him. This is the fatherly care of Jesus. This is his love that he has shown to his people. That it is like a father to his children. And I've talked about the word father a lot, but notice the second word in Isaiah 9, 6. Everlasting. Everlasting. All of these things we just learned about how Jesus cares for his people, this king's fatherly love, all we just read and learned about, this king's fatherly care will never end. It'll never end. He is not limited by how many years he is physically able to care for his children. And he's not limited by death. This king will be a father forever. This king is literally described as the father of eternity. The father who will love and protect and provide for his people and his children for all of eternity. And there will be no end to his fatherly role in the lives of his people. What a beautiful truth that is as we reflect on the Christmas season. That the king to come is our everlasting father. And we don't need to worry about a day where he might leave us, where he might pass away, or when he may stop caring for us or loving us. This everlasting father is here to stay. He isn't going anywhere. What a beautiful truth that is to reflect on this Christmas season. So what are some takeaways from this amazing truth about Jesus? What are some takeaways that we can walk away from? I think the first takeaway is the everlasting father has come. The everlasting father has come. The Christmas season can be a really distracting and anxious time for everyone. Am I the only one that thinks that? Or is, it, is sometimes this just horrifying going through the Christmas season, right? And I just have to say, I feel like I've noticed that more particularly this season. Like I've gone to the mall, I've gone to Target, I've gone to even Walgreens, I've gone to the Fantasy of Trees, and I've just seen more eye rolls, outbursts of anger, and just moments of stress from people more often this year than in the past. And maybe it's just me, and maybe I've noticed it more, because I've been really stressed out this Christmas season, not just because of the Christmas season, but I've had to help prepare for a wedding. And if anyone who has gotten married will tell you, preparing for weddings is one of the most stressful things you will ever do. Marriage is awesome. 10 out of 10 recommend. Big fan. I've only been married for two weeks. Big fan of it, right? Huge fan. But weddings, whew. like I was already bald before December 2nd, okay? But if the wedding would have done it for me, okay? 
And whether it's wedding details or Christmas gifts or having family over for Christmas or travel plans or even anything that doesn't stress us out about the Christmas season, like the lights and the trees and the music and the movies, all of these things can distract us and take us away from the beautiful truth that we celebrate this season. And so I want to encourage us, and I also want to preach to myself here, do not let the anxieties and distractions of this season take your eyes off of the Father. Enjoy listening to the Christmas song by Nat King Cole every single day like I do. Enjoy a Charlie Brown Christmas like I do. Buy the gifts you need to buy. But let your heart continually be reminded and focused on the everlasting Father has come. He's come into this world to save us from our sins and to eventually bring us home. Let this be our focus this Christmas season. And by the way, that's not just the truth to focus on during the Christmas season. That's a truth to focus on on every season of life. And at any time, we would be anxious or distracted. The everlasting Father has come. The second takeaway is, the everlasting Father is here. The everlasting Father is here. The Christmas season can also be a season of grief for many of us. For a lot of us, putting up the lights, putting up the trees, watching the Christmas movies that we watch, sometimes it can be a really painful experience for a lot of us. Because when we do these things, when we think of doing these things, perhaps we get paralyzed because we remind ourselves that we used to do these things with the ones we love and the ones that we've lost over these last few years. Perhaps it's hard to hear the word father. And it's hard to reconcile seeing God as a good father and Jesus as the king who gives divine fatherly care to his people. Perhaps you're lonely. You feel like no one's there for you. You feel like no one loves you. You feel like no one cares. You're hurting. And maybe you feel like no one is around you to even notice your hurt. Can I just say, Jesus Christ, the everlasting Father, is here with you. He is here with you. He's with you to guide you through your pain. He's with you not just to give you wisdom and guidance as the wonderful counselor, but he's also here to simply grieve with you in your pain. He's there to cry with you as you mourn your loss. When Mary and Martha wept in front of Jesus, reflecting on losing their brother Lazarus, though Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus, he still wept with them. He still sat and cried with them. And can I just tell you, Jesus is here to remind you of his love over you. So that while you might grieve, while it doesn't completely take away the pain, while it doesn't completely take away the grief, Jesus is here to remind you of his love over you and that you might feel the sweetness of his comfort over you. I've been listening to a song by David Crowder. And it says that his love burns through the rage 
and burns through the pain of a billion scars. And that is our everlasting Father and His ability to heal. You are not alone. The everlasting Father is here with you. And it's okay to grieve over the losses that you've suffered. But I beg you this morning, let yourself be reminded of the fatherly presence of Jesus in your life. Though He is on the throne, His full presence is dwelling within you through the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. He is here. And the final application is, the everlasting Father is coming. The everlasting Father has come. The everlasting Father is here. And the everlasting Father is also coming. We celebrate this Christmas season, the coming of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. But the reality is, the everlasting Father is coming back again soon to bring us home. In the Father's house are many rooms, and he has gone to prepare those rooms for us to stay in the house, the kingdom of God. And these aren't guest rooms. These aren't hotel rooms where our stay is temporary. These rooms, this house is reserved for God's children. And that is you and that is me if you put your faith in this everlasting Father and King who came to save you from your sins. So as we reflect, this everlasting Father will not leave us as orphans. He is coming again soon to bring us home so that we will be under his fatherly care for all of eternity. So in this Christmas season, yes, let us look back 2,000 years ago and reflect on the first coming of our Savior. But during this Christmas season, let us also look forward to the time to come where we will be fully brought into God's house as one of his children. So this is something that I tend to struggle with because of my own experiences. But I just want to ask you a few questions this morning. Do you believe that your heavenly Father loves you and is pleased with you? Do you believe that he is for you and not against you? Do you believe that he sees you as one of his children and that he will never leave you or give up on you? Do you believe that even if you don't believe in him, he still desires for you to come to faith in him so that you might taste and see how good he is? Do you believe that even when you fail, though he desires for you to do better, he doesn't look down on you and he doesn't think differently of you? That he's full of mercy over you? Do you believe that in a season of unknown paths, as he is the wonderful counselor guiding you into places that you don't understand, do you believe that where he is leading you is for your own good, even when you can't see it, even when it's foggy? Do you believe that his love for you isn't based on your performance and that you don't have to try and impress him? Do you believe that all he desires from you, all that he desires from you 
is not for you to clean your act up. It's not for you to try and impress him and get his attention with all a bunch of good works. It's not to come to church every Sunday morning but just have no relationship with him at all after this. Do you know that the only thing that he desires from you is that you know him and that you love him? You belong to such a perfect father. And you see the full expression of this perfect father in none other than his son, Jesus Christ. He loves you. He cares for you. And while you may struggle to trust him, and while you may struggle to receive his love for you because of your earthly father, the truth is, his love hasn't changed for you. His grasp on you it hasn't changed. His love for you has not changed. And we see that in Jesus. Because when you see Jesus, you see the Father. And you see how much he loves you. And you see how much he cares for you. And you see how much he wants to bring you home as one of his own. So if you haven't this morning, go to him. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, you are such a good, good father. And we see that in you sending your son Jesus to die for us. I don't know where everyone is this morning. But Lord, I pray whether we've had amazing experiences just with our earthly fathers. We, we praise you for that. We praise you that some of our fathers, many of our fathers here have been such great expressions and representations of what a good father should be. Or whether we're on the other side where we have had very negative experiences. I pray, Father, that wherever we are, we trust in your fatherly care. That we rest in it that we don't get anxious about possibilities of things, and that we don't become overcome with grief from everything. But Lord, we trust in your comfort and we trust in your presence in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that this Christmas season would be an opportunity for us to reflect on that. Lord, we praise you for your son, Jesus. And we thank you that he is coming again to bring us into your house. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name.